Well, good morning and happy Sabbath. I am delighted to be back here in the La Sierra community and to be with you here this morning. Uh, I am a product of Adventist education and have worked most of my career in Adventist schools. Uh, started back uh, almost 27 years ago at La Sierra University, in fact. But my story of why I chose uh, to dedicate my life to Adventist education goes much further back, actually in the early t 1950s, in the Amazon jungle, where my grandfather was a missionary pastor. After a particularly long stint in the jungle, my grandfather came home and told my grandmother that the conference in Peru was sending them back to the United States so that he could work on his master's degree, and then they would return to Peru and he would go to work for the conference. Once they were here at Pacific Union College, they fell in love with the United States. On the boat back to Peru, my grandmother, with tears streaming down her face, she was waving back at the United States and promised she would bring her family back someday. And sure enough, a few years later, they made that very difficult decision to immigrate permanently to the United States. They barely spoke any English, and they had very little money. But they came here, and they learned, and they worked hard to send their children to Adventist schools. In turn, my parents worked very hard to send my brother, my sister, and I to Adventist schools. And so following in their footsteps, I also sent my own son to Adventist schools. My grandparents' commitment to God, family, and their beloved church has been an inspiration. My grandfather was the pastor at La Sierra Spanish Church, where I held my membership for many, many years. He baptized my brother, Julio, in the original building, which is now the gym. And in the summer, when I turned 14, my grandfather baptized my sister and I at the dedication of the new building, which is now the Spanish church. I loved going to the Spanish church where I could see all my friends that I grew up with. Yamalette and her brother and sister and Danny Bazan and the Valenzuelas and the Gills, there were so many of us growing up together. And while my membership was there at the Spanish church, it was around my senior year that I actually started to transition and attending here, back then known as the Collegiate Church. And in fact, uh, my son was dedicated by Bailey, Bailey Gillespie on this very stage nearly 24 years ago. I have so many fond memories of growing up here in La Sierra, riding my bike to and from piano lessons with my friend Lisa Mitchell, now Lisa Walker. Mrs. Rona Hodgen, our piano teacher, was a strong presence during our growing up years. She set high standards, and well, she nearly expected perfection of us, but she loved us, and so we respected her, and we worked hard for her because of that. After piano and theory lessons, Lisa and I would go flying on our bikes down Norwood from Peacock down to Hallmark. Remember when there didn't used to be any stop signs there? We'd just go flying down. And we would ride our bikes all over La Sierra. We'd go to the university pool and to the college market, and we'd buy veggie burgers. Many summer days spent riding our bikes all over La Sierra. Summers also meant summer camp at Pine Springs Ranch. Lisa and I would plan our matching outfits, and we went there every year from when we were about 10 years old to 15 years old. And I loved all the campfire songs like Side by Side and Pass It On. My all-time favorite, Seek Ye First. This song has stayed with me as a reminder to always put him first which is not always easy when we experience bumps and bruises that life brings our way. 
great memories at PSR. I will save the story of our last year abruptly ended late Saturday night, hours before we were actually supposed to be picked up for another time. It may have been due to a week-long rivalry between our cabin and the boys' cabin, some water balloons, and a call home to pick us up, but it was innocent, I assure you. There were so many experiences that I remember from attending La Sierra Academy. I will never forget, when I was in junior high, my friends and I decided that we were going to ditch. It was a beautiful spring day, and we wanted to spend it at our friend's pool and not in the classroom. So we carefully devised our scheme of how we were going to excuse ourselves after lunch and meet up just down the street and walk over to her house and hang by the pool. As we were walking into her house, relieved that we had pulled it off, the phone was ringing. My friend walked to the phone, and without giving it a second thought, she picked it up. It was the school secretary. <laughs> the secretary recognized it was her and asked if we were all with her, and so that we needed to get back to school, and we did. Obediently and quietly, we went back to school. And with my heart in my throat, I remember waiting to see the principal back then, Mrs. Mallory, Dr. Mallory now. And when I finally walked into her office, her calm demeanor was frightening. <laughs> yet comforting, if that's possible, and she listened to each of us and calmly sentenced us to washing walls. As scary as Mrs. Mallory was to me when I was in junior high, that love and compassion that she had in her eyes when she spoke to us has stayed with me all these many years. As I got to high school, La Sierra Academy gave us opportunities and leadership in varsity sports and music, so many hilarious memories, a band with Mr. Zamora. And yes, it was zero period back then, too. Band toward San Francisco, my senior year made up for the really early mornings. I don't remember if we cared sleeping on the floors at Modesto and Lodi Academy, but I do remember all the laughter on the bus. My class just had our 30-year reunion in April. 30 years, can you believe it? We're so young. <laughs> We still talked about the Zamoras and their Pronto Pups with the Pronto Pops says, please. And, uh, we, and Pete still does his spot-on impression of Coach Randy Norton. By the way, thanks to Coach Norton for taking a chance on me to do the baseball varsity team stats. I developed a much deeper appreciation for the sport because of learning to do baseball stats. And Coach Sue Boyd, well, I'm sure I don't hold the record for excuses to get out of running for PE, but the good news is that now I like, do like running long distance, and that's also another story for another time. As a teen and early years in college, our parents did a fantastic job of making sure our home was open and welcoming to all of our classmates. Our friends knew that they can walk over after school, they could play basketball in the driveway, and that the freezer would always be full of frozen burritos. My parents were not the only ones with the welcoming homes. We also spent many summer afternoons at Dr. Norman Maverney Mitchell's home, Friday night dinners and Sabbath afternoons at Judy and Bailey Gillespie's home. This La Sierra community was truly the village that raised us as kids. Today, Adventist education is a passion of mine and my career is dedicated to Adventist education, mostly due to the experiences of growing up right here in La Sierra. My very first job was babysitting for Mrs. Michelle Hesse. Then the summer before my ninth grade year, I got my first job on campus vacuuming classrooms for the Santiago's. And then I got the 
exciting opportunity to go work for Mrs. Donna Thurber as her student worker and her junior high uh, choir accompanist. Mrs. Thurber had very high expectations, and it was no nonsense and hard work. She would come back into my life years later and be my assistant at a sister school after she had retired from teaching music. My colleagues at Los Angeles University and beyond, like Myrna Costa and Faye Swayze, Cyril Connolly, and Mrs. Barrett Von Poli, just to name a few, were some of the big influences in my life. Myrna and Faye were, in fact, my first bosses here at Los Angeles University. I worked in the admissions office for Myrna right out of high school. My senior year in college, uh, she took me aside and pointed out the staff opening had opened up in the records office, and she said that I needed to apply for it. I was like, Myrna, that job requires a degree. They're never going to look at me. And she says, Yes, you need to do it. You need to go apply for it. You have nothing to lose. If you don't get it, you will have gone through an interview, and that's good experience too. Well. Faith Swayze ended up having enough faith in me and gave me my first staff job, that kickstarted my career. Both of these ladies instilled hard work, integrity at work, and held that bar high. All of these people from this community that had faith in me, so many that, as I went through a dark period in my life, they were to serve as that tether. That would bring me back. All those connections from home, school, and church brought me back. Years later, I come full circle, back to Los Angeles Academy, and back to this community. I am humbled beyond words that I have been given this opportunity to serve in this current capacity. How did I get here? Seek ye first, put him first, and everything else will follow. This is his school, and I'm looking forward to working alongside the faculty and staff at Los Angeles Academy. They each have their own story and a shared passion for Adventist education. I'm looking forward to serving these families. You all have your own story. While we all have our journeys, let's keep in mind to always seek Him first. Really want to know the story that from Pine Springs Ranch that she's saving for later? Don't you really want to know that one, Church? <laughs> Something to do with a boys' cabin and a girls' cabin? Come on, Miss uh, Miss Principal, you held out on us. You see all the students behind you? They want to know that story. <laughs> Seek ye first the kingdom of God. You maybe heard that little tune growing up, also. And his righteousness, the passage says, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek ye first. That's the principal's passage, and it happens to be a verse buried in Jesus' inaugural classroom. That inaugural classroom that happened on the slope of a mountain one day. This is in a part of Matthew's storytelling where Jesus seems to give lecture after lecture, five big lectures in the Gospel of Matthew. If you had a Bible in front of you, the very first lecture is the one we're addressing today. Matthew chapter five, six, and seven forms the first lesson in Jesus' teaching. 
Labette's verse is nestled right buried down in there. Jesus has been baptized and he's come home from the wilderness where he's been tempted by the evil one. He's come home for some food and some rest and to pull a few student disciples to join him on his journey. This is when he goes to sit on the slope of the mountainside and he begins this lecture. There's already a large crowd gathered. When the Bible says large, many crowd, it means to say as far as the eye can see because the rumor is out that this one heals wounded bodies and puts broken people back together again. And if this Jesus did it for other people, maybe he can do it for us. Oh, the rumor is good and the rumor is out. And those are the only kind of rumors we should tell, <laughs> the good ones. So they've come because maybe Jesus will do for them what Jesus has done for other people. Sitting in the front row maybe are Peter, Andrew, James, and John, those first four students, and the crowd is eavesdropping, and Jesus begins. Jesus can say whatever he wants now. This is the beginning of his public journey. This is where you would get out the program, the platform, the process, the policies. This is where you make your agendas crystal clear what your life will be about. Jesus can say anything now. And he leads with, happy are those of you who are hopeless. Because if you're hopeless, the kingdom of heaven is already yours. Happy are the people who grieve because you will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble, they'll inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty. Happy are people who show mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts. Happy are people who can make peace with other people. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they're righteous and because the kingdom of heaven is already theirs. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak badly about you because you're with me because this will happen, Jesus says. It's the manifesto of Jesus, what the disciples hear, but the crowd eavesdrop, that the divine blessing will necessarily fall on people who are hungry and thirsty and broken and marginalized and excluded and poor. The divine blessing, the agendas of God, the program of God, the kingdom of God, use whatever language we want, Jesus lets us know it's already active. Jesus is about to step into that. If you commit to this movement with Jesus, well, if you'll make your daily concerns that of the people who need to eat and the people who need to drink and the people who need to be propped up and the people who need to be protected, if you would like to make that your life's agenda too, Jesus says, come on. Just know you'll be persecuted for this. Jesus can say whatever he wants and this is what he says. And now he gives us some of the most difficult teachings we have in all of scripture. It's the next punch that comes in. Jesus says, don't be angry, don't return evil with evil, love every enemy you have or every enemy you make. By the way, you'll need to turn the other cheek when they come after you. Don't judge each other, don't worry, don't worry ever, offer forgiveness. It's carefully crafted literature, this little section of Mark. It's striking, but most of us don't care. Do we care about that? No, because those are the most difficult teachings we've ever heard. Don't be angry ever. Don't worry ever. I mean, we, we major in anxiety in our earth. Jesus clusters together the most difficult teachings, 37 commands he gives. 
They're not nice ideas, they're necessary. They're imperatives, commands, urgent things that must happen. And it turns out to be a very extensive and a high bar of a list of who can do these things, Jesus. You set the bar too high, Jesus. None of us will succeed, Jesus. Dale Allison says of this part of Jesus' lecture, did Jesus really believe he can banish human impulses with an imperative? The words may please, but who can live them out, really? This is ultra-piety. What is Jesus doing? And this is where the little tune is buried that Labette remembers, that she tells me just comes up to her soul automatically. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things will be added unto you. It's about halfway through Jesus' lesson plan. It's about time to pass the offering. That's where Jesus is that day. Jesus, you set the bar too high. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do. You heard Labette's confessions of all the things in school that she may or may not have gotten in trouble over? Did you wanna say amen a little bit? Let me see your hand if you got in trouble in elementary school. Elementary school, put your hand up. You got in trouble in elementary school. Confession is good for us. Put your hand down. Did you get in trouble in junior high? Let me see your hand. Junior high trouble, some of the same ones of you. Not naming anybody, Corey, not naming anybody. Hands down, put your hands up. Did you get in trouble in high school? Bill, I see you, but uh-huh. I, uh, look at the honesty, doesn't it feel good? Come on, look left and look right. Turns out most all of us who had fun in life got in trouble. And then there's the others. My big uh, getting in trouble moment, Labette, my big moment was sneaking off campus as a vegetarian, sneaking off campus to eat a hamburger downtown. (laughs) And I got downtown with my friends. I mean, you know the rules. You're not supposed to ride in a car with a teenage driver. You're not supposed to leave campus unless you check out. You can only go with your parents or people who have permission. It's a long list. Am I telling the truth, students? It's a ridiculously long list. But then I'm a vegetarian. And we sneak down to this burger joint when we order this thing and I'm looking in the face of this hamburger going, this is it? I'm gonna get in trouble over this. I'm not even gonna take a bite of it. (laughs) I don't even wanna eat it. What in the world? Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. When Jesus sits on the slope of the mountain with his disciples, our ears are tuned to that list. Don't be angry, don't worry, don't forget to offer forgiveness. Don't, 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 don't. Our ears are naturally tuned for that. Maybe this is human nature. Give me a short list of everything I'm not supposed to do, and now I know what to do. By the way, Matthew says, the road is difficult, the gate is narrow. Friends, when we put the effort, when we put our energy on how hard the human effort will be in the life with Jesus, when we wrap ourselves up in the lists of all the things we're not supposed to do, when our focus comes to the hard human efforts, to teaching these high ideals with possible demands, most of us will fail before the benediction today. When we put our emphasis on ourselves, 
when we make ourselves the headline of this story, we can never forget God is the headline of Jesus' story. Every time Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God, the headline will always be about the generous graciousness of God. The headline will always be that God plans to come for the hungry, God plans to come for the weak, God plans to come for those who are outcast, God plans to come for those with questions, God plans to come for those of us who are always in trouble. The headline of Jesus' story will be to point to God in this anxiety-driven land. There's more than one way to hear the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus that day. If we read it carefully, the headline of the story is God and not what we're not supposed to do, but what God invites us into doing. God will bring us all along as redeemed helpers in God's story. Jesus tells us carefully in that first lecture The heavenly parent shows love to everyone. The heavenly parent forgives. The heavenly parent clothes the grass of the field. Won't the heavenly parent clothe you? The heavenly parent knows what we need. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added. Lost in our English translation is this repetitive idea. It's not a once time seeking. No wonder this song comes to Labet again and again and again because the text actually says, keep on seeking. Keep on seeking in the morning. Keep on seeking when the first bell rings of the day. Keep on seeking when you drive down to Starbucks. Keep on seeking when you run errands. Keep on seeking when you know to turn up at the doctor's office. Keep on seeking when you're going into financial aid. Keep on seeking when you write your exam. Keep on seeking when the children won't be quiet. The text says continually keep on seeking God. Forget about a long list that focuses on me. The focus is about God. Keep on seeking and life changes. Seek, strive for, desire, think God first as often as you can. Seek the heavenly parent, the righteousness of the parent. And it seems like all the rest mostly falls into place. It is in the course of the everydayness of our lives this happens. It is in the course of a family from Peru. We welcome you, Munoz family. We welcome you, Labette's husband and her her son, Dakota, watching today. It's in the course of a family moving from Peru and choosing a community and waking up every day, the sun rises and the sun sets. It's in the course of the everydayness of it all. That's usually the bread and the butter of seeking God first. That's the beans and the rice of it all, right? It's not usually flashy and big moments of the right decisions. It's in the everydayness of it all to seek God first in the messiness of it all and hopefully finding a community who will meet you there, a community that will also wants to seek God first. So the Munoz family created a home, Labette said, a home that was welcome and the doors were open. The driveway, it turns out, is for basketball and the yard is for playing and the freezer is for frozen burritos and the family room is for Friday night and Sabbath gatherings. And the community is for holding the faith and the trust alongside this family, for telling a little girl whose great-grandparents immigrated from Peru that this journey with God is going to be worth it. The everydayness of it all. Trust God in the everydayness of it all, and we develop these muscles 
deep and rigorous and flexible muscles. This is about trust in God. Last week we had here a group of people who've lived a long time in this community. We called it the long view. And Pastor Vaughn was correct to say that could have been many of you sitting around the table. Ron, I think you went back to the 40s. You moved into this last year community in the 40s or 50s, something like this. It's okay if you confess it again. It's a long time ago. But when I hear Principal Munoz Beard say, she grew up here in the trust and the care of this community, I begin to say, see the fruitfulness of seeking God first. It's a very beautiful story. It's in the everydayness of it all. And once in a while, a community will have to do something gutsy and tremendous and risky. You heard the story last week. Labette, I'm not sure you got to hear. There was a time in the 70s where we saw we were not paying our educators equally. Head of household men got one pay and other teachers who weren't men got a different pay. And this community decided to roll up their sleeves because Jesus says the poor will be taken care of. And once in a while, you have to roll up your sleeves and seek God in larger, gutsy agendas. And that happened here. And the administrators in the church said, don't do it, you'll break the system. Don't do it, we don't have enough money. Don't do it, you'll cause everyone around the worldwide church to want equal pay. And the precious saints in this community who held the trust and the faith of God said, we have to do this. And it happened. And it didn't break any bank. And it didn't fracture any community. And it meant that the women and their children and their spouses were able to pay their bills and eat their food. Yes. Sometimes seeking God will look like that, but much more often it's in the everydayness of it all. There's a poet who says, somewhere is better than anywhere. This is our somewhere. Thank you, Lobet, for coming home to somewhere. It's not anywhere, it's here. And we heard you, and we know that's why you took this job. It's a sense of place. You've come full circle. Your family from Peru, you were a prayer and a dream all the way back then. We shall never forget that God is the headline of this story and that it takes a community willing to seek God first for a little more traction to happen. Once upon a time, there was a tiny little church that baptized people like we did today. This church was in Appalachia in Tennessee. They did their baptisms down at the river. And one by one, in long robes, people would go into the water, and on the shore, they'd put together a makeshift changing room with blankets and clothes. And as the wet, newly baptized people came out and changed their clothes, they threw blankets around them and brought them straight over to a fire, and someone had a pot of soup going, and they congratulated them, and everyone then gathered around the fire, and one at a time, they took turns introducing the new people who had just joined the community like the three gentlemen today, like Kate today, one at a time, who are you and this is your name and this is what you work you do in our community and this is where you live and we want to know you and one at a time, they introduced them all and then a ritual began. Someone would step forward and say, my name is Ed. 
and I chop wood, so if you ever need wood, call me. My name is Becky, and I babysit, and if you ever need a babysitter, call me. My name is Elizabeth, and if you ever need someone to sit with the sick in your home, please call me. My name is Richard, and if you ever need a car to drive into town, I'll be your person. Yeah, my name is Joe, and I know how to repair anything in your house. If you ever need that, please call me. Years later, when this story was told, someone asked, what do you call that ritual? What is that thing you all did around the campfire? Oh, community. Community. Seek you first, church, and watch that community thrive. Amen.